I'm Kathy Allen. I'm Jasmine. Hi, I'm Ellen. And we have High Expectations. Coming up on this podcast, we review New York Magazine's podcast called Sex Lives, and we also talk about the concept of not saving things for best. This podcast does contain sexual content and is not safe for work. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend. Um, High Expectations is here today to discuss a podcast from New York, no, it's New York Magazine within the Panoply Network called Sex Lives, and it's hosted by three people. Two of them are columnists from the New York Magazine, and another one hosts something called The Cut. Two of them specialise in sex, one of them doesn't, that's their host. We listened to two episodes as a sample. The first episode is called Into the Sex Box, and the second one is called The Art of the Thirst Trap. Into the Sex Box is a, uh, takes on two topics. The first one is Do Happy Couples Masturbate? Which is basically a discussion of whether or not people in relationships still masturbate regularly. And the second one is about a sex box. Apparently there's a reality TV show in which um, couples who are having trouble in their sex life get advice from a bunch of panellists, then they go into a sex box. Uh, what I can understand is some privacy off stage for 17 minutes, then they emerge again and they say how it went. The Art of the Thirst Trap was about this theory called the Volton, which is some 80s cartoon about a robot that's made up of a bunch of different parts. Voltron. Voltron? Okay. I think we should get into episode one, Into the Sex Box. What did you guys think about masturbation? They say in the podcast that they still feel inherently a little bit shameful or squeamish and also embarrassed was another word thrown around that they masturbate and I just found that really not sex positive. It's interesting that you thought it wasn't really sex positive. I think that I, but that I disagreed with actually was that she went into detail about how people don't think masturbation is a thing anymore that we need to be ashamed of. I definitely didn't, that, didn't have that experience when I was younger and when the topic of masturbation came up I was told that it was something to be ashamed of and something that I shouldn't do and it was something that was bad but I was also told through a cartoon sex ed video that it was something that was healthy and not to be ashamed of. So that mixed message has throughout my life incredibly confused me. Mm. And I think many women to this day still won't admit that they masturbate. Have you guys ever been at parties when you play like never have I ever and then there's that bit where people say like I've never masturbated ha 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 and women don't really want to drink. I think it's still a taboo subject amongst women. Many women statistically yeah, don't you. learn how to masturbate for a long time. It's not yeah. as societally accepted. Whereas I feel like men talk an insane amount about what they masturbate. And they show no shame whatsoever. And mm. I have always been fascinated by it. Kind of grossed out by it a little bit. But also kind of envious in a way that they can just... That double standard. It's mm-hmm. like how I feel really angry that I have to shave. So I disagreed with that first part rather than the second part. I think there is always going to be some squeamishness surrounding the idea of masturbation or openly talking about masturbation. I feel that. But like I said, I was from a very young age given a mixed message about masturbation. When the idea was introduced to me, there were two things I remember very strongly. It's healthy and it's normal and it's shameful and you should never do it. How do you go about that? And how do you see all that in yourself exactly? Yeah. They do talk about that in the podcast where they talk about masturbating while you're part of a couple that it's now a good thing and it's not shameful or a sign that, that the relationship is troubled oh okay God, so that's good okay sex positive <laughs> but then they have to always have to like qualify it with some kind of negativity where they then go on to say but if you enjoy masturbating more than sex with your partner then you might have a troubled relationship although studies show that for women it makes a better relationship 
as we've talked about in Sleeping With Other People episode, episode one, a lot of women need to masturbate to have an orgasm because they don't get it through the sex with their heteronormative Exactly. Sex. Yeah. And I think, I, I think we possibly, from what I've talked about with you guys, our biggest problem with the show was that it's very heteronormative, mm-hmm. that it's straight-oriented, and I feel like a lot of the facts that they throw out there... Uh, studies from straight relationships and that's the biggest problem from the get-go there's not really that many studies done on queer people so when they say women have more satisfying relationships than they masturbate i can get behind that but what women straight women Hmm. or women i believe they're referring to straight women i believe they're referring to straight women too yeah so it's interesting that you say that they came back at it with this like negative thing about like if you're masturbating more than than wanting to be with your partner then that's a problem so they're immediately saying like everyone's different it's okay to masturbate actually statistics show that's a good thing in a relationship and then they come at it with this negative thing why do you think that's negative because they talk about it being a solo act or not encouraging people to masturbate with your partner exactly and there's so many in the room yeah different well yeah you can do it with your partner you can do it during sex yeah you can do it without your partner and that's perfectly fine and it might be one of the only ways someone can get off and then they can hear that and feel ashamed by it also they're not considering different types of partnerships. No. Just before we were looking up something called a queer platonic relationship, right? In which you don't have a traditionally sexual or romantic connection with somebody, but it's kind of more than a friendship. And it exists in this gray zone, which is being more and more recognized all the time. Yeah. And you call these people your zucchini, which I got really excited about. And the idea of the zucchini is that um, it's a joke, that there aren't that many terms for those people in that gray area. So how can you tell people that if they're masturbating more than enjoying sex with their partner, that that's wrong? Because that's not a one-size-fits-all. You might not have a sexual relationship with your partner. Exactly. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to have a sexual relationship with yourself. That may be what you need. Absolutely. So you have the episodes about this thing called Sexbox. We never heard of Sexbox before. No. And we found out that it's a British television show in which couples have sex in a box and then come out and then a bunch of sex experts tell them, I, I talked to them about it. Whoa. And our minds are blown. And it was it went for one season and it was critically panned on Channel 4. And now this fascinating concept has kind of become incredibly meta because we're a podcast reviewing a podcast that was reviewing a TV show. And now we're going to review the TV show to see how our review of that TV show stacks up. But we have to watch this TV show. I mean, people have sex in a box. Um, to give some context on the show, uh, they the producers um, and hosts feel like people will be more candid about talking about sex once they've actually had it. So that's why they get the couples to go into this box on stage, may I add, completely private and soundproof and you can't see anything. However, they do have sex in a box on stage. Um, and then come back out and then conversations will be more open, apparently. So we'll have to get back to you on that. Yeah. We're feeling a little bit um, mixed about the concept to begin with, that's for sure. Although there is some uh, some nice queer representation, which made us a little bit happy. Unlike sex lives. Unlike sex lives. Um. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we... Because I really... I was all geared up to be like, sex box, what a pile of trash. And now I'm like, is it? We actually haven't watched the TV show, so we'll have to come back to it. Mm. But um, what did you guys think of what they thought of Sexbox? Okay, their thoughts on Sexbox, I think, did have some problems. There is an inherent theme with this podcast where they are partially sex positive and then partially sex negative. I don't think they're deliberately trying to be sex negative. 
they're just coming at sex maybe from their own experience, which is very heteronormative. Yeah. And they don't register other concepts because they're just not on their radar at all. And that and that is what we've basically decided is our biggest problem with the show. Um is basically that yeah, they can't see past their own experience and when I come when I come to a show like this, what I really want to be hearing about is something that I can relate to. Mm. And so I made this note here that we live in a relationship and romantic and sexually obsessed world, but I want to start hearing about things that are more inclusive. And I think that this show puts us stuff up here like it's this really progressive thing to talk about sex. But is it? It would be progressive to actually have some queer representation we should talk about different types of relationships rather than making broad sweeping statements and the sex box is a really good example of that because when we were listening to the podcast they were talking about how was it that um most sexual encounters take seven minutes i think that was the thing they the statistic they quoted and they're in the sex box for 17 minutes the average time in the sex box is 17 minutes and perhaps the average length of a sexual encounter mm. is seven minutes outside of the sex box. And I guess oh. I take issue to these statistics because that immediately perked my ears up like seven minutes. Who's having sex in seven minutes? Is that every single sexual relationship out there? Or is that predominantly heterosexual relationships? Yeah. And I've definitely heard that, that, I've actually heard even less than that. I've heard that it's two minutes. And that becomes even more problematic because what is that? Is it two minutes? Is it seven? Is it 17? Is it 40? What is it? There is no set time. There is no set time. And and sexual statistics are problematic in themselves and this show heavily relies on them. A two or seven minute, even a heterosexual encounter is probably very unfulfilling for both parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and It I, may be perfectly fulfilling, but yeah. odds are it's not. Yeah. I Because when we were watching the sex box um just sending a little bit of teasers and like the sex advice. Te- oh, good choice of yeah, yeah, words. Yeah. Freudian slip nice. there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, when we were getting some of the, hearing some of the advice that the panelists gave, one of them said that it takes 30 to 40 minutes for a woman to be aroused. I don't know how they got that. But then that again contradicts what they were saying about the seven minutes. Does that start from the so called foreplay? The bit where they're just touching, kissing, getting towards sex, or is it the sex itself? What do they define as sex? Is that oral sex? Is that penetrative sex? Maybe it's all problematic for me. Can you can you see why that's like a vague? Because and... how I would define that as the start of both parties being aroused through to when you decide it's over. I don't. Mm. It just really annoys me that. Probably the most common definition of that would be, you know, until one person comes. And that would be impossible to quantify, in my opinion. Absolutely. Because you could be, like, um, kissing, touching, watch a movie, kiss, touch some more, do the dishes, uh-huh. have sex for an hour. Like, yeah. how when do, you, when do you start and begin what you count as a sexual encounter? It's ongoing. Yeah, one problem I had with their, their discussion on sex box was they said that a virgin male goes into the sex box and has sex for the very first time with his partner and then he comes out, quote, a man. Oh, no. God. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to this thinking, like, was he not a man before? Do you have Fucking to have hell. penetrative sex with a woman to become a man? Well, apparently in the picture, you do. <sighs> that bothered me. 
And then they another quote about an, a woman who was claiming to have been married and I think had not had an orgasm. And they, they thought this was very unlikely. And their quote was, there's no way you can be married for seven years and never have an orgasm. Um, there totally is a way. Absolutely. And that must, that must be a lot of people's experience. And these people are sex columnists. They're meant uh-huh. to be experts. Yeah. yeah. Some people can't orgasm. And they often, they're always, they often say things like, oh yeah, well, my friend. It's like, okay, so you're, you're using a personal anecdote to back up your claim. Good one. Yeah. I also just wanted to say as well, I want to open this up to a wider definition of sex. Sex doesn't have to include orgasms. Sex can be whatever you define it as. Ellen and I watched this really cool art house film. Um, it was about a queer relationship and it included different behaviours as sexual activity. For example, um, now this was bordering on a um, S&M relationship, well, definitely was an S&M relationship, yeah. where they, um, they had certain uh, acts that were um, both dominance and some submissive acts um, that they included as their sexual repertoire Uh, and one of the behaviors was one woman polished boots and if she was seen to be polishing the boots of someone else that would be a betrayal so that was included as a sexual act you know like this is so that so that was cheating wasn't it yeah definitely it's so wide (laughs) you know there are so many different things that could come into this but what the world at large sees as Sex is so limited. I loved that film. What was it called it was again? So great, I can't remember. Oh my god! And they were all—they were the only women existed in this village, and it was done by this amazing director. And everything was like in seventies decor. And the beginning of the film, she um, cycles in, and then she goes into the house, and there's this woman, and she's like, "You're late." And she's like, I'm so sorry. Where can I start cleaning the house? Mm-hmm. And then you slowly start to realize that they're in a relationship. It's called The Duke of Burgundy and the it's Duke beautiful. The Duke of Burgundy and it's in a really good film and it's kind of scary. And it made me think about sex differently. Definitely. Which this podcast doesn't. Uh-huh. So no. stop listening to this podcast and watch The Duke of Burgundy. Anyway, yeah. So what Kathy was saying was basically that it's a power play between who has the power because the woman who's in the dominant position doesn't really want to be there. But the woman who wants to be subjugated makes her. So the woman who's being subjugated yeah. likes to dominate the woman who she wants to dominate her so she's being a power bottom in other words power bottom yes yeah good 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 terminology and so basically what you were saying was that cleaning boots was part of their their foreplay yeah well well, part of their sexual yeah like i said repertoire i love the way you put that um you're welcome and so then when she does that for another woman when she gets another woman to dominate her in the confines of their relationship that counts as cheating and that made me think about sex in an entirely different way it's so sex is is so orgasm centric when people talk about it. Goal oriented is goal, what they call it. As well as just about what I was going to say, actually. Yeah, it's goal oriented, which totally erases all of the other things you do and doesn't validate them as much, but they're incredibly important. All the other things that you would count as intimacy are just as beautiful and just as important to a sexual encounter. And take a lot longer than seven minutes. Yep. Go on, we... I want to question their stamina if they're only going for seven minutes. Kathy! <laughs> That's goal oriented! <laughs> <laughs> we have some cups of tea and Alan has served them to us in these very nice cups and saucers that she says is a, a daily treat. <laughs> yeah. Because I like tea and um and I always put out tea cups with actual sauces because that makes me feel like royalty, I guess. You can still want to feel like royalty even if you're an anti monarch. Um <laughs> <laughs> And as I was putting this down, I said to Jaslyn that we met a friend of my dad's recently and he said to us, we had 
a really nice lunch with him, and he said, you want cakes? You have cakes. You want sparkling water instead of still water? You get sparkling water, because you should always have the best. And why save the best um, for a special occasion? Just have the best all the time. When you go out for dinner, always have the best meal. Always have the meal that's on special. Exactly. I think it's a great idea. So <laughs> you should treat yourself every day. You think you should treat yourself every day? Do you remember how we did that? And, I, and then I took treat yourself every day to mean like, I have a real sweet tooth. So I thought, oh yeah, I'll just eat chocolate every single day or eat cakes every single day. It doesn't have to be food. It can be something that you love to do. That's right. But that's yeah. the difference between like a healthy treat or a not healthy treat, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it depends what you think is healthy for you or not. Um, no. Um, I've always held that in my mind where I try to do something for myself every day, which is why I'm often found at cafes writing. Um, and that's my treat to myself is to sit down and write for a little bit. I think that's really nice. But that's, that is healthy. Yeah. Like, that's not what's well, set for the cafe that you inject. <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. But, um, but, like, you're right, Kathy. If you have a little bit of dark chocolate then like midway through the day or whatever that's not bad for you science age is okay science says it's Mm. like a trip to the gym or something (laughs) you should have some dark chocolate and a glass of red wine every lunchtime basically you should just only eat those things (laughs) yeah the idea is that you should treat yourself yeah people should treat themselves regularly and the treat doesn't have to be like you've done something really well if you feel like a treat by the way i'm quoting gretchen rubin's theories from the happier podcast another podcast shout out um yeah, you should treat yourself when you feel like a treat, not just because you've done something good, because good habits shouldn't be rewarded. You should do good habits just because you should do good habits. But treats are something that's really good and can get you through the day, like little things like that. And that thing you said about going to the cafe is a perfect example. And do you remember when you came up with that concept of make the day better? Like, not treat yourself no, like every that. day, but mm. make the day better? I do. I have forgotten all about make the day better. <laughs> we reinstate this. But it is, it is a similar concept. In that every day you should do something that just makes the day a little bit better. Something that makes you a little bit happier. Especially because some days are really hard. It can turn a whole day around. And sometimes it can be as simple as like sitting at a seat you want to sit at in the bus. Absolutely. Like I could sit up near the front, but I actually prefer sitting at the back. And it's really that simple. And mm. it could just be that you send a text to a friend yeah. that you don't talk to very often and... They're really grateful to hear from you and they it's something back really lovely and you just feel like a little bounce in your step it does doesn't it giving to others not only makes your day better but it makes your day better as well because you've connected with people and what would make your day better what are the little things that um you would choose to do i get a lot of my emotional happiness out of um social contact mm. with people i'm very very extroverted mm-hmm. I also take a lot of emotional happiness out of music. So take some time to strap my headphones on and walk around, especially walking to work or home from work or just out and about, listen to that really great band that I'm into at the moment or a song that will boost my mood. It really helps and I feel really great. And I, want, I look at other people and they are not listening to this music. And I think you should be listening to this song. Do you know how awesome this song is? Yeah, you're totally missing Your out. day would be mm. better if you could just hear it. Yeah, also a good time to get away from, like, talking to people. Yeah. It just, you put your headphones on, and then it's kind of like an invisibility cloak. You People know not to bother you. So they, they have a great, like, gesture and social significance mm-hmm. of, this is me having time with just me, and, and instead of having all of this noise and traffic and world around me, I've chosen to have... Song instead. Speaking of noise, um, I get quite overwhelmed a lot with social media. 
Um, and with all of the 50 million apps that we have at the moment that we're communicating on. And I recently, out of curiosity, actually downloaded um, one called Peach because one of our friends um, has it and quickly deleted it again because I just thought this is just superfluous and ridiculous. And sure, you know, some people would find enjoyment out of it, but there are so many modes of communication out there that it just gets too much. Deleting apps is incredibly satisfying. <sighs> Decluttering can be linked back to how did your dad's friend put it dirty your best every day yeah basically um because coming from a family of hoarders and people who have saved things um just in case they'll be needed in future that sort of concept of just using you know wearing your best clothes or using that lovely letter paper to write letters to special people or to um just actually use up the material things you have right now really helps in terms of decluttering i think that we don't as a generation, I'm just going to make a mass generalisation right here. Yeah, I don't think we have that same concept the babies boomers do about like having your best. Like, do, no. do young people buy that? Because my parents have a Wedgwood plate set that they got when they got married. So, like, they have the good china. Do young people do that? Yeah, so they will... They'll buy a cheap set and that's their set. Or they'll go around flatting and they'll be constantly just changing and you mm-hmm. have a collection of random plates that... Maybe that relates to kind of generation rent. Like a lot generation of rent. Generation rent. Rent and everything yeah. has to kind of be replaceable. Yeah. 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 I've been very interested the last couple of days about a concept I found on Pinterest. Another more social, social media. media. Yeah, more social media. Oh yeah, you Pinterest. I don't. Oh, God, I I don't Pinterest. Very, Pinterest. I, I don't Pinterest very often. I Pinterest when I remember that I'm on Pinterest and I go and have a look. And I see what my more active Pinterest friends have been pinning. <laughs> <laughs> and so one caught my eye, which was about the 10-item wardrobe. Wow. Which is, there's a TEDx talk, which I recommend you hear. It's on YouTube. And it is based on how people supposedly live in countries like France and other European countries, where they do, they wear their best most days. And the concept is you look through all your wardrobe and all your clothes and you ask yourself, one, do you love it? Does it fit? Is it age appropriate? Mm-hmm. Do you wear it? And if any of those are no's, you get rid of it. Mm. Is that the same concept as the capsule wardrobe? I've heard something called the capsule It's probably wardrobe. very similar. And what you're left with is a, is a smaller collection of clothes. And then from that collection, you choose, the concept is 10 items, but it can be 15 to 20 if you really just can't cope with 10. Some core items, such as for women, it might be a pair of pants, a pair of jeans, a couple of skirts, three dresses and blouses, that kind of thing. And then on top of that you have you can have accessories such as jackets, t-shirts, pajamas, that kind of thing. So every day you get dressed a lot easier because you're going to be wearing something for that small group of clothes. Mm. And because you have a small group of clothes, you can buy nicer clothes. Mm. Okay, I have a better idea. Alright, so go to your wardrobe. Throw out everything. Buy a zoot suit. Wear it every single day. <laughs> I call it the zoot suit wardrobe. Oh <laughs> and now I'm a genius. Give me a book deal. I'm not throwing out half my clothes. Trademark. Okay, I have like five pairs of pants and I like it that way. Because they're different colours. 
But I do like I do like the idea of downsizing your wardrobe for sure. But mm. putting a number on something like for one person, ten will be a great number, and for other people, yeah, like 20. maybe it'll be more like yeah. twenty, twenty. You can expand 30, it. 40. <laughs> but what you realize is that you can see some photos of people's examples of their ten item wardrobe mm. and how the outfits fit together, and it's surprisingly versatile. Do they have a sock drawer? Because, like, yes. I know, I have a whole drawer dedicated to just different types oh, yeah. of novelty socks. Socks, 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 underwear, t-shirts, outside jackets, blazers, and things. They count as extra items. They're not part of your core oh, wardrobe. Oh, okay. But could you have a whole drawer full of socks? Because shout out to Rachel Lynch. I'm obsessed with socks now. And I've had, <laughs> I used to have a drawer that would have, like, my underwear and socks in it. And now there's a drawer for just socks. Yeah, yeah and if you're interested in socks, why not check out the Sock Review Zine? <laughs> <laughs> Question for you, Kathy Allen. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have 50 items of clothing from a real budget store? Or, let's say, 10 items from a very high-end store. Princess Highway. Everything is <laughs> well-fitted, perfect fit, nicely made, long-lasting, very hit- versatile clothing. Mm. What's the other option? Death? Or is this a would-you-rather? So would-you-rather. <laughs> it's like I, our most boring would-you-rather today. I'm hesitant to say the 10 items because I do like variety, but I will go with the 10, ten item wardrobe um, because that way it will be nicely tailored and you probably get some nice high-waisted pants and skirts in there. Whereas if you go to a budget store, you can't find them that fit you perfectly. I feel like you just fell into Jaslyn's trap. I did. My point is, in my current set of clothing, and I think with a lot of people, you might unknowingly be only be wearing 10 to 20 core items yeah. because you have your go-to clothes, and you might wear them without even knowing that you've got a core wardrobe. You've got all these other clothes all around that you just never quite get to. It's never quite the right day for it, and you put it off, and you go back to your good trusted perfect skirt or your perfect dress and it's your sort of go-to weekend wear and your sort of go-to work wear and you kind of rotate everything around like certain pieces yep yeah I totally agree I have done that recently and it yeah. felt damn good on twitter I bragged about throwing up my clothes and how it actually makes you realize more of the clothes that you have that you could have worn more mm-hmm. if you kind of they didn't get buried in your wardrobe absolutely and then somebody was like this is totally what everyone should do and there are other people in the comments and they said, oh, you know, but there are some that I put aside and I want to sell on Trade Me and they never sell because no one buys stuff. Or Trade Me is like eBay, international listeners. And um, no one buys anything on Trade Me unless it's like dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. So I haven't sold anything on Trade Me and I just gave it all to Jaslyn. And, <laughs> and then Lily Reed said, okay, well, don't fall into that because that's the sunk cost fallacy. Have you heard of the sunk cost fallacy? I've heard of it, but please explain it. Okay, so the sunk cost fallacy is basically this idea that you've spent money on it, so you should keep it. It should also just be called the hoarder's mentality. As in, oh, but I spent like 20 bucks on this 10 years ago. I should still be wearing this. I know of some people who are still wearing the same clothes for 10 years <laughs> because they want to get it down to cents. You know? Do you know what I mean? Like They want to be like, yeah. every time I wear this, it's like this yeah. much minus dollars at this point. I have gotten as much use out of this as I can. They feel really good about the fact that they spent a bunch of money in the past, which now apparently means nothing. And they obviously have no concept of the time value of money anyway. Yep. And, <laughs> and um, so yeah, the sunk cost fallacy is basically that and it works for so many things. It's the idea that if you spend something, it's gone. That money is gone. You don't need to worry about it. You don't make future decisions based on money that you spent in the past, and nor should you. Mm. So if you spend something on a piece of clothing that's taking up valuable space, 
that's another thing you need to think about. If you, if you if you spent like, I don't know, 50 bucks on a dress that you literally never wear, having it in your wardrobe isn't doing you any favours. No. It's just taking up that space. So that's the sunk cost that fallacy. And I dig that. And it also works for like, oh, I spent money on these movie tickets when I'm actually feeling incredibly sick. And if I go, are we running in and out of the cinema with like violent insert gross <laughs> things here? Yeah. And, but that idea that, oh, I've already spent this money. Well, that money is gone and you're not going to enjoy yourself and forcing yourself to do something you won't enjoy just because you spent money on it in the past or holding on to something you don't like just because you spent money on it in the past makes actually no sense. Um, and e- economists will tell you this. The sunk cost thing is an economic value. And many of you listeners out there, I'm sure, if an economist said it, you dig it. That's such a great point, Alan. I feel like... <laughs> Um, that that can be applied to other things like other investments, not just money. I am tempted to say it can be applied to relationships where you have emotionally invested in a person and you stick at something because you think, you know, I've been with this person for, you know, three years now, or I've 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 reached these milestones with them, or I've committed to them in this way, and so thus. Couple those photos in Europe with them, awkward editing them out. I'm not yep. good at cropping. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, though. It just things hold us there because we feel like we've done so much already. We may as well just stick at it. Um, but that's not a reason to stay if it's not right for you. I totally agree. I agree too. It's a brilliant example. But on on the subject of the clothes taking up wardrobe space uh-huh. I think we've both experienced this is that when we have clothes that are taking up space in the wardrobe you just never ever wear because they don't fit you properly or that's not right for you when you give them to a friend to try on or to wear instead you can then get enjoyment out of that item because they look great in it mm. and you get to see them happy in it and you see them wearing it and you think now that dress or whatever has life yeah what's so what's that like that's like one woman's Trashy outfit is a woman, another woman's treasured one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It can be. Because, another woman's potential yeah. op shop drop. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Tea's nice. Tea is. I'm currently drinking. Make your day better, types. everyone. Make your yeah. day better. Throw out all of your clothes and some. <laughs> and buy a new thing. It's called the Zoot Suit Theory. Yes. So yeah. a lot of things to talk about. I have a lot of things to say about the Voltron. <laughs> Go on. So yeah, did we? So we define what the Voltron is. The Voltron is a it's an '80s cartoon about some mechanical lions that form together to become a gigantic robot that can defeat massive enemies, similar to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or Captain Planet. <laughs> He's a hero, gonna take Thanks, pollution Grandma. down to zero. Keep going. <laughs> so in dating, it's this idea that you date a bunch of different people to fulfill all of your relationship needs rather than just one. We can take them saying it in that way as a positive thing because it takes the pressure off any one person that you are seeing to give you everything, which ah. I don't think is unrealistic. I mean, which I don't think is realistic at all. Um, and, but... In a um, in a monogamously obsessed world, we put well people tend to put all that pressure on their one partner, um, and even if you are going to be monogamous, I think that's a really good attitude to take in a monogamous relationship where you shouldn't put all of that pressure on your one partner to provide you everything. Yeah, but the, the the flip side of that is that my problem with the Voltron is that all of these people that the host introduces people who could provide things for you in your life. And you might have, like, say, four or five on a go. And these are the different things those people provide for you. 
one of them takes you out for nice dinners. One of them is really sexy and you can have good sex, but you don't have good talks because they're not intellectual enough. And then you have the intellectual sensitive one and so on and so forth. And these people can fulfill everything you want in one relationship. But the thing is that those things she introduced are quite two-dimensional. No one is any one aspect of their personality. You're not like the sensitive one or the sexy one. People can be sexy and sensitive. And that's all subjective. Mm-hmm. What's sexy is entirely subjective. Mm-hmm. So that's what I took issue to. And I feel like if you want to make a sex-positive podcast, should we not be talking about the importance of intimate connections? So rather than being like, you can have these superficial relationships with so many different people, shouldn't they say you can have more than one intimate relationship Definitely. with more than one person? Yeah. And by that I mean what Kathy was getting at with the idea of monogamy versus non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. You can't get everything you want from one person. And that doesn't just count towards a monogamous relationship. You get things out of friendships that you can't get out of relationships. Definitely. A love of spicy food, perhaps. Yes. Your partner yeah. doesn't like spicy food, so you go out with somebody else gets spicy food. Korean barbecue night because you have a vegetarian girlfriend. No offense, Kathy. Like, You're welcome. Um, I, <laughs> isn't there more they should be aiming for rather than superficially date a whole bunch of people? The idea of the Voltron as well was treated as a temporary thing. There's a direct quote from this podcast that says, open relationships are having a moment and that they're just doing it because your friends are. And I take issue to that in a big way because that is uh, taking the legitimacy away from non-monogamy. And it is saying that any relationship that isn't monogamous is only a temporary thing and it's only a phase which is incredibly damaging for people who do identify as polyamorous or do need an open relationship to be able to fulfill all of their needs and yeah there are so many different reasons why someone have a non-monogamous relationship right and one of them actually seems to back up what you see kathy that didn't they say something to the effect of like i don't think open relationships work yeah she said i don't think on a whole they work i think it's just the people in the relationship trying to admit to themselves they don't really want to be in that relationship. Which is not why people choose polyamory or open relationships. No, it's not one size fits all. There's so many different reasons. Like, you might... You might, just one example, you might be in a relationship for a long, long time with somebody and you still want to be together, but you're not being sexually fulfilled by that person, which is constantly referred to in the Savage Love cast. You don't know what's going on for one couple behind closed doors. They might have an open relationship for whatever reason and successfully go on for years. Mm -hmm. There are relationships out there. We just don't hear about them. Isn't it just like putting it into the easy, like, oh, this is scary, polyamory, non-monogamy basket let's put it over here and that's what weird people do and they're just having a moment it's a phase where have we heard that expression before it's a phase queer people queer yep. relationships yep. but queer people are cool now we can change our profile <laughs> pictures to look like <laughs> to rainbows because we support you queer people but fuck you non-monogamous people essentially yep. and that's the world we live in if they can't fit it into an easy basket the same goes for bisexuality people Absolutely. want to ignore it Mm -hmm. and this podcast there's so much unsaid one of the hosts says how she likes the security of being monogamous that's all well and good you know if that's what she needs to feel secure and safe and that's what works for her that's awesome but i feel like she was putting her own personal bias out there as a judgment and saying that you couldn't have security in an open or polyamorous relationship which i disagree with oh but but she has a friend, and they're in a non relationship, and it works for them. Oh, I see. Okay, like one, one couple. Just one. But it yeah. only happens like one couple. Just, just one couple. Just oh, also she, she describes the Voltron as an unspoken polyamory, and I just have to say straight up, there's no such thing as unspoken polyamory. Polyamory takes there's a polyamory shitload where you, of communication. Right, there's polyamory where you don't talk about it, 
when you go out and have sex with other people and you don't talk about it, but that has been agreed upon. There's no such thing as unspoken polyamory. What she was talking about is casually dating and not having to disclose that you're having other relationships at the same time yeah. because you haven't defined the relationship with any one person. Mm-hmm. That is different. You cannot claim that term polyamory for that situation. Definitely no, not. I mean, perhaps you could put it on in the non-monogamy. It's just that divide between casual dating and hookup dating and committed relationships. It's that binary again. It's that you have to be kind of sleeping around and trying people out or in the relationship. And this podcast, they're setting themselves up as progressive thinkers, as, you know, kind of like frontline sexual experts. But are they really? I guess what I was going to say as well in terms of security, sorry to jump back to this, being in a polyamorous open relationship doesn't mean you don't have security. Um, If you've communicated about having an open relationship or polyamorous relationship with your partner, um, then you you would negotiate and make sure that both parties are feeling secure in the arrangement. You've both agreed upon it. That's the healthy way to go about it. And also, you can be incredibly insecure in a monogamous relationship. It's not just because you're in one or the other. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And if you are casually dating, there's no harm in letting the person that you're dating know that you are casually dating other people. Yeah. doesn't need to be unspoken. Yeah. Communicate more people. Yeah, I agree, actually. Why does she say, like, there's this thing where you don't tell people you're dating other people? Tell them. Tell them. And then be like, hey, but maybe I wouldn't want to date a whole bunch of other people. What about you? You know, just, like, what people should do is they should put their cards on the table and say, this is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And time and time again, that lack of communication is, like, a bad thing that people fall into. You're three weeks down the track, and then they say... Oh, I'm just come out of a relationship and I'm not really looking for a new one right now. I've had I just this. want something casual. You've had this? I've had this. Twice. Have you had this? Absolutely. I think yeah. everybody here has had that. Yeah. Like, come on, just tell us straight up you're not looking for something serious so mm-hmm. we can move on to the next person. Uh-huh. It's respectful to tell people where you're at. And then you'll find that other weird person that doesn't want a relationship right now and you guys can <laughs> go have a casual fling and everyone's happy. There you go. And there's no deceit there. Yeah. You're right. Communicate. Communicate. <laughs> If, if anyone out there is, not that I'm an expert, but if anyone out there is entering into considering polyamory or open relationships, because there is, a, there is a, a difference. And would someone like to explain that difference? Um, I guess uh, you can use non-monogamy as kind of a blanket term. Polyamory yeah, is when you're in a relationship uh, with more than one person. An yeah. open relationship is an agreement with two people in a couple that they can have sex with other people, perhaps even date other people. It's a looser term and polyamory um, and non-monogamy could represent that and a whole variety of other different types Definitely. of non-monogamous relationships non-monogamy is a really good umbrella term to use there thank yeah. you that's good um, basically I'm just going to so, say that make sure you communicate about every single step because that's respectful and it shows that you love your partner and value them yeah I don't think anyone who casually dates around <laughs> dates around should be shamed no, no. for dating around no. and I also don't think that you're like spoiling your chances or being spoilt for choice no if one person if you're not meeting that one person that you want to develop a relationship with because let's be real anyone who's gotten a relationship knows that it kind of just happens yeah it does like you meet somebody who's right for you and fits into your life yeah oh that's what I said in the podcast they're like people yeah people only bring people in if they fit into their lives rather than like through feeling yeah I don't know (laughs) what so it's only if it's convenient yeah, if they can fit into their like various ideas or checklist of what they'd want for a partner, rather than like they really actually like that person. And if you really like that person and have genuine feelings for them, then surely you would create a life with them and you would adapt together. And... If you can, yeah. yeah. There's something that I find interesting about Tinder, 
mm-hmm. yet when you're trying to find someone, you specify how far away you want them to be. <laughs> so true. And that gets me kind of paranoid because I think, what if the right person that I really want to spend a lot of time with is, is a meter away from is, that? Yeah, like a kilometer further away. <laughs> and then so I think, true. well, what do I want from a partner? Do I want to have to travel 40 minutes on a train to get to them? I want them to be near me. I want to go to walk to their house. I want them to better come over to my place easily. Yeah. And so I'm more inclined just to specify a shorter distance away. That makes sense. I yeah. feel like but that that's like if you have some requirements that are more convenient to you or yeah, practical convenience, that makes sense. Like they don't live too far away. Like that, that commute takes a lot of time out of your life. Like you're going to have to make a big compromise somewhere down the line. They might have a job out there. They might have a life out there. That makes things more complicated. Whereas if they're closer in, you don't come up with all of those complications right off the bat. So you're not signing up for something that will become tricky somewhere down the line. But if your requirements are something like, oh, I hope they can be like a really incredible cook and agree to do all of the cooking and cleaning for me. Those things there, they need, you need to either drop compromise yep. so yeah i can agree with that you, you don't need to have this ridiculous perfection checklist that your partner will never fit yeah i mean i don't feel like anyone's under the impression that they should have that checklist i don't know maybe some people are just fuck the checklist guys i mean if you know there's things you, you don't want to compromise on and there's um necessary fundamental things that you need in a relationship then sure that's great you know yourself and actually having said this though you may discover something with someone that you haven't figured out before so if you're open to that that's cool too I wanted to say that sex lives, I think its biggest problem is this clickbaiting aspect. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is in and of itself a magazine that has been roughly translated into a podcast. Their titles read as Into the Sex Box and in all caps. What is it? The, uh, the Rise of Incest Porn was yeah, their latest no. one. Yeah. I can also say I've listened past these last two episodes. It doesn't get better. They don't start talking about queer stuff. And I don't think you can legitimately have a sex podcast without talking about queer sex. No. Or different types of sex. That is, that's just ridiculous. Like, it's 2016, guys. So I don't, I don't think they're progressive. And I think that they are creating this, yeah, this clickbaiting thing. The rise of incest porn. Listen, please. But it's like, is sex like, is, is sex the aspect about our relationships that we really think is that important, needs all the emphasis? As we were saying before, some people don't even have sex. Mm-hmm. But most people have relationships. Relationships make up a huge sector of our life. And we don't, we shouldn't be listening to podcasts about just sex. We should be listening to podcasts about sex and relationships. Relationships is the really juicy, meaty, interesting thing that I could listen to forever. Emotional intimacy is just as important. Very important. If not more. If not more. I agree. Yeah. Friendships are important. Friendships are so important. This is why I regard, we all do, we call friendships relationships. Because... They're just a different form of relationship. And we say that we love our friends. Because yes. we do. Because yeah. love isn't just a romantic thing. We're all having a real cheesy holding hands right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just say, this this track thing, again, just like that goes under what I was saying, clickbait. It's just a way to get people interested yeah. in listening. I don't care. I don't care if some celebrity put up a photo. The first trap is apparently like, you put up a photo on Instagram and you get people to comment to say that you're sexy. That's all that needs to be said about that. I didn't think it was an interesting conversation point that they could have brought up in the podcast. No. If you're having podcasts about sex or sexuality or relationships, it's just limitless. You don't need to talk about Justin Bieber's Instagram, which they do at length, I believe. 
it's, I guess the idea, part of the idea or the concept behind this podcast is introducing you to ideas that you wouldn't have heard of otherwise. I didn't hear of thirst trapping otherwise, mm. and I didn't hear of the sex box, and for that I am so grateful, Sex Lives. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of being progressive and thinking about my relationships and my sex life differently, Sex Lives offered me zilch. Mm-hmm. Same. I should state too that these the thirst trap um, images are provocative. They are deliberately sexualized, by the way. So it makes sure you know cleavage or it makes show abs or outline of a penis. So I don't really I don't really have much to add to be honest. I feel like it was just a filler for them, um, and yeah, it exists, but they're not really making any sort of contentious argument against it, or they're not they're just they're just commenting on it. So I don't really think it. Um, would you guys recommend people listen to this podcast? No. No, I could recommend a different sex and relationships podcast mm-hmm. if they wanted one. What would you recommend? Savage Love. Yeah, I think I've learned a lot from Savage Love. Basically what happens on the Savage Love cast is people call in and then he gives them advice on their relationship and sex problems. Um, and through that, and through, and I actually think hearing people's personal anecdotes, this is what I'm going to say, rather than hearing scientific evidence statistic or empirical evidence because that's so problematic when it comes to sex i don't think that we should stop studying sex scientifically but as we if we talk about it just in general as people there is nothing better than anecdotal evidence i i am all for storytelling when it comes to sex because that's how we relate to each other through Mm -hmm. hearing stories through hearing that other people feel the way that you do like they have that weird little kink like furry conventions there are other people out there that are weird like you and coming together to talk about it that's what's interesting don't you think definitely and whenever i've had a relationship problem hearing someone else's story about it will personally relate to me that's what's helped me well you've said in the past that if it wasn't for savage love cast then you wouldn't have been able to work through certain obstacles i wouldn't have come out of the closet yeah i wouldn't have come out of the closet i wouldn't wouldn't be with you yeah yeah that is true dan savage (laughs) thanks dan Storytelling is also on six box. I don't know how to feel. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't recommend this podcast for anyone, actually. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please send them through to highexpectationspodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Casts, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. See our Facebook page for details at High Expectations Podcast or on Twitter at High X Podcast. Have a great week. I don't know. It's, I told you already. It's like the force is you have the ability to like make things come to you <laughs> from far away. It's one of the side effects of having the force. Pretty cool. Coming up on this podcast, we review new. <laughs> Not an antivirus. Not an antivirus. Are they creating the viruses? Fucking words. Okay, I'm gonna do it a third time and get it right. Let me do this. Oh my god.